How much of what we think of as Italian has been shaped by secondary information we have received about Italy? What is actually the essence of Italy or of being Italian? As guests today, I have an Italian who grew up in Germany, a half Italian, half Venezuelan who grew up in Italy, and a Russian who simply loves Italy. Is one of you closer to the culture? Is one of you more Italian than the other? And who decides? What does it take to be Italian, or any nationality for that matter? to Language and Culture with Dr. J. We are in season five of the podcast entitled Culture Exponential. We are listened to in 100 countries around the world and are rapidly approaching 100,000 downloads. And we got this far out of sheer conviction and joint interest. The podcast is absolutely non-profit and should inform and benefit people around the world, regardless of their ethnicity, socioeconomic, cultural, or linguistic background. We try to connect the dots and to work towards unity and education. On culturium.com, C-U-L-T-U-R-E-U-M.com, you can listen to all our previous episodes and you can find more information about me and all my activities with Culturium including my books and my blogs. You will also find a list of our donors and sponsors, and we'll see how you too can support us. And we do need your support, so every little bit counts. On culturium.com, I bring you something new every week, your weekly dose of culture. Something to listen to, something to read, food for thought, and ways to connect the dots. This episode is entitled, What It Takes to Be Italian. We are recording before a live audience at The Pony Bar at Allende Putz 1, right between the wonderful Abaton Movie Theater and the main campus of the University of Hamburg. What do you think of when I say Italy or speak of Italians? Images of beautiful landscapes are conjured up lakes, mountains, the coastlines of the Mediterranean Sea, vineyards, volcanoes, gorgeous cities with breathtaking architecture, Rome, Venice, Naples, Florence, to mention only a few, history, architecture, art, and let's not forget about the food. Pizza, pasta, lasagna, tiramisu. We think of the Pope in Vatican City. Then there's Giorgio Armani, and Donatella Versace, and Dolce and & Cabana, and Prada. And going away from the fashion industry, there's Bellasconi, or the chef Massimo Bottura, or Gianluigi Buffon, right? And of course, there is the Mafia. In general, we think of Italians as being warm and friendly and family-orientated, fun-loving, loud, gesticulating. Italians love food, drink lots of coffee, are obsessed with their mama and their Vespa. But how much of all this is actually Italy? 
How much of what we think of as Italian has been shaped by secondary information we have received about Italy? How many of you think of Robert De Niro as the ultimate Italian? Or of the three Godfather movies as your source of information on the mafia? Or think you know Italy because you have been to Little Italy? Or have seen Life is Beautiful or Eat, Pray, Love? Italy is a very mono-ethnic and mono-linguistic culture. Over 90% of those living in Italy were born in Italy and have Italian ancestry. Linguistically, although more than 30 languages are spoken in Italy, and most of these languages existed before the establishment of the national Italian language, Italy is considered monolinguistic, with Italian be being spoken as a mother tongue by almost all Italians. But this season of the podcast is called Culture Exponential, and the focus is on how cultures mix. To help me answer what it takes to be Italian, and to provide a factor of exponential culture. Today, I have three guests who each bring a little bit of Italy and a little bit of somewhere else with them. My guests today are Francesca Merletti, Maria Portorazkaya, and Gaia Gop, all three currently students at the University of Hamburg. Francesca was born in Teramo, Italy, but her family moved to Wolfsburg, when she was 12. She has been studying Oriental languages and informatics since 2021. Maria was born and raised in Russia, but moved to Germany to study art history and Italian literature, since Italy and the Italian language and culture have always been her passion. In 2019, she completed a three-month internship at the Art History Institute in Florence, and is currently finishing her bachelor thesis about Fondacco dei Tedeschi, if I pronounce it right, or the German trading house in Venice. Gaia is from Grado and also grew up in Italy. Her father is Italian, but her mother is Venezuelan. She is studying Oriental languages. Welcome, Francesca, Maria, and Gaia to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. So we're going to start with a round of questions, quick question and answer session to situate ourselves in the Italian culture, a little bit of a quiz. If you know the answer, please just shout it out. If you do not, we'll involve the audience. All right, so here we go. We're gonna begin with history. From 1925 to 1945, Italy was under the dictatorship of what dictator? Okay, geography. What major Italian city is located close to Lake Como? Milan. Okay. Very briefly, what can you tell me about the two volcanoes at Mount Etna and Vesuvius? I don't know if it's the right word, but dormant? They're not dormant, okay. Vesuvius is dormant. Okay. What else? Where, where, yeah, what else can you tell me about him? When, when did Etna last erupt? A few years ago. Yeah, in 2021, okay. But according to what I've read, Vesuvius last erupted in 76 AD. What can you visit near Vesuvius, the famous city? All right, a little louder. Pompeii. Uh, Pompeii, there we go. All right, all right. Okay. 
All right, this is the section called International Stereotypes. If we reduce the French to a bicycle, a bottle of wine, and a baguette, what does the stereotypical Italian look like? Vespa, spaghetti, and gesticulation. Vest, okay, okay, and the hand gestures, okay. I can, I could see that, I could see it in my, in my mind's eye. Okay, so complete the comparison. German punctuality, Italian... Always late. Italian, okay, tardiness or always being late. All right, again, complete the comparison. In the U.S., money talks. In Italy... Food. What's that? Food talks. Food talks, okay, food talks. Okay, the last one of these. Hungarians love soup. Italians... Loves pasta. Italians love pasta. Okay. So let's go with food. What is cannoli? A Sicilian dessert. And how is it? Can you describe it a little more? Yes. <laughs> it's like this pastry that's fried. And then it has like a ricotta uh, cheese cream. And uh, there are candied oranges or chocolate or pistachio. There are big variation of it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, how do you make risotto? <laughs> so you boil the rice but you need to risottare so you don't fully boil it you have a flat pan and you pour water and slowly make it boil so it becomes creamy and you also need to add the cheese okay all right so what is panna cotta it's like <laughs> heated um how you call it like uh, Schlagsahne, heavy cream. Uh, Is it like heavy cream? Whipping cream. Whipping cream. Um, heated and then mixed with gelatin and vanilla or I think some also do a bit of lemon zest. And then you put it in the fridge, let it cool down and then you put like some blueberries or raspberries, whatever you want on top. We'll go on. <clears throat> Pop culture, okay? <laughs> and I know one of you will know the answer to this because I think your mother used to... Uh be a fan of this person. So, who was Rafaela Carrà? A singer. Tell me more. I think she was the one who sang uh, Far l'amore da Trieste in Giù or something. Yeah. Why do you know her? Because Trieste is in my region. <laughs> the why do you know her? Oh, because my mom was a fan of her. Okay. Even though she's Venezuelan? Yeah. Okay. We'll, it was we'll a get, huge hit. We'll give back to that. Okay. Okay. Who is Sfera e Basta? An Italian trapper singer, but I don't hear him. Also like, producer, I think. He's also I, a producer. Okay, he's, a, he's an Italian rapper. Okay, higher culture. Who painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? Michelangelo. All right, Maria, good, all right. Yes. So, who composed the music to the opera Nabucco? Verdi. Yes, Maria, there we go, all right. What is, this is traditions, what is La Befana? It's a festivity that falls between the 5th and 6th of January, and the Befana is basically a witch who kidnaps children and leaves coal if you're a bad child and candies if you're a good one in a sock. In a sock? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. What is La Notte Bianca? I think it's a little bit like uh, what we said, yeah? Is it maybe like in summer when you stay up all night? Like... 
I think it's supposed to be in October. It's okay, kind of like or Lange Nacht der Theater. So it's uh, or Lange Nacht der Musik. Uh, so um, it's this night of all sorts of festivities, arts, museums, uh, uh, street art, uh, etc. Okay. What is La Fiesta della Rificolana? Never heard about that. Never heard of it? No one in the audience either? All right. It's a celebration of the birth of the Virgin Mary. It's supposed to be celebrated in, in September <laughs> with lanterns. Coming down the mountain? Yes, processions of celebrating the birth of the Virgin Mary. All right. What happens to the money thrown into Trevi Fountain in Rome? You wish something and then the wish becomes true, but in reality someone comes and pick it up. Okay, and what happens with the money after they pick it up? It will be donated, I think. Donated to? I don't know. Unfortunately. It's, do it's all donated to charity and it's about a million euros a year from the fountain. Okay. I'm always connecting the dots. So let me connect the dots between the United Kingdom and Italy. Shakespeare set many of his plays in Italy. Which play is set in Verona? <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And there's another one? Um, Two gentlemen of Verona, but... Uh, yeah. Okay. What should you never do with bread in Italy? Put them upside down. And why? Because it's like a sin. Why? Because bread is supposed to... I don't know, it's, like, it's a sin. <laughs> and supposedly it comes from the Middle Ages because they used to serve the executioners the bread upside down. So if you're turning it upside down... Okay. So, last question. The Greeks have Hedone, the goddess of pleasure. In the US, we speak of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The French sing about la vie en rose. Germans aim for Gemütlichkeit. And the Italians have la dolce vita. And what is that? It's like taking everything with, just like don't uh, think, overthink things. And uh, don't like always look at times. You can just like relax and um, how can you say, like enjoy life. Okay, like that, okay. Maybe? I would have said also il dolce far niente. Yeah. Like just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want. Don't the stress. Sweet nothing. The yeah. sweet, right. Okay. Sweet of doing nothing. Okay. And of course, La Dolce Vita is a 1969 uh, Fellini movie with Marcello Mastroianni, and that, that's what made it kind of um, the, the concept so popular. Okay. So these two questions just asked about tidbits of information about Italy. Things that people might concentrate on when speaking about Italy, things Italy is known for, but did we even touch on what it means to be Italian? What is actually the essence of Italy or of being Italian? As guests today, I have an Italian who grew up in Germany, a half-Italian, half-Venezuelan who grew up in Italy, and a Russian who simply loves Italy. Is one of you closer to the culture? Is one of you more Italian than the other? And who decides? And what does it mean to be? And I'm making sort of quotation marks around be. What does it take to be Italian? or any nationality, for that matter. 
Let's look at what it actually takes to be Italian and why you feel close to the Italian culture and why you don't feel close to it or what aspects of it do you identify with? How, how is it for you with Italy, Francesca? Um, I don't even know. Like I, I always say I'm Italian, but at the end I don't know if I identify as Italian because, like um, I already told you, I lived almost half of my life here in Germany. And um, if we think, like, my childhood, it was in Italy, but um, I really cannot recall anything about it because, like, until maybe uh, up until I was five or six, I really don't remember that time. So I couldn't tell you what takes to be Italian. I don't, like, feel like 100% Italian. Both my parents are. I don't know. I, If I would guess, it's like... Also, the stereotypes in my mind, like the one that I said before, like being loud or like gesticulating. And maybe that's true because I'm gesticulating, but <laughs> no, I couldn't tell you more. And, and are you German then? Uh, I would say that I'm a bit German because uh, also when I moved to Wolfsburg, um, I almost had like, there are, were a lot of Italian people, but I also had a lot of German friends that like somehow... Um, influenced my growing up or like my um, not childhood it's called like not adulthood upbringing, upbringing or like the puberty years and I would say more fault like from my cultural feeling mm -hmm. okay yeah you too for me um, when I was in Italy I did not feel Italian I did not even feel Venezuelan I didn't even have time or the will to think about my identity just because even in my region itself we have Austrians, we have Slovenians, we have people from the Balkan countries and we're just a, a huge mix of other different cultures so everyone has a little bit of something extra in them and you don't really talk about being Italian but it did feel quote-unquote less Italian than my friends because I wasn't into the popular culture or I like Asian music it's not not something that normal Italian teenagers really like or know of but once I came here the physical distance made me want to feel more Italian and although I still don't feel 100% Italian, I do feel closer and more patriotic in a sense. And yeah. Isn't that interesting? Did, did you guys hear her? Isn't that interesting that you become more of a certain nationality when you're away from it? Because perhaps then you need to define yourself. Yeah. Perhaps. Okay, but let me let Maria answer the question mm -hmm. as well. So I'm not Italian and um, I want to feel Italian somehow, but I, I just can't. I, it's not in my culture. I'm, um, wasn't, I'm not grew up in this culture and I just um, come in touch with some, some little, little parts of Italy, Italian culture and so on. But I think I felt um, myself really comfortable as I was in Florence for three months and I was just open for new experience for finding people there for talking and and so on but I'm also feel comfortable here in Germany 
and interesting that you can um, find this way feeling comfortable in the culture where you live or where you want to um, belong to, I think. I think that's the interesting question. So let's stay with it. I think that's fascinating. So for those of you, some of you know my background. So I was born in Romania to Hungarian parents, grew up in Texas, and I totally think I'm French. I mean, you know, so I, I go to France and I'm like, and where does that come from? You know, and, and, and how do we, I mean, that, that's the whole thing. How do we, or do we need to identify with a certain nationality? You know, the Italian nation established the Italian anthem and the Italian language to unify all the different parts of, right, of Italy. So it was a, a political decision that should create a unity. So do we need that? What do you think with, about that? This idea of nationality and, and where does it come from and how does it manifest itself? I think traditionally, um, maybe it, it was a really a particular part of um, identity, a self-identity, and um, it was, um, I don't know if we need it nowadays, and I think we can, um, can choose now, because of globalization, I don't know, all these um, um, processes, but um, I think we really can choose it, and it shouldn't be banned to to identify yourself with with another country or another culture, and so on. I don't know. So, for example, Gaia, you were saying that you you identified yourself with Asian culture to a certain extent through the food. You liked Asian food more. So, what is lost if we don't identify with a certain national culture? What is lost if we all of a sudden say, okay, we can just choose what nationality we are. We can choose whether we want to be, uh, we want to eat Italian and feel Italian through that and we want to dress like French, but what does that even mean that after a while? Do you know what I mean? There is no such thing as dress like the French or eat like the Italians or anything, right? I mean, I'm doing with, with uh, sort of quotation marks because at some point there is no such thing there is just food. There is just clothes. There is, what do you do with language as well? I don't know. For me, it all comes to the sense of belonging, where you feel most comfortable in. Whether it's eating a certain culture's food, speaking a certain language, living in a certain place, it's, it's all a mix. You can be a little bit of everything. Okay, and so are you a little bit of everything? I think so. Yeah, I even I feel connected more to the English language when talking about deep things. I was scared this podcast was going to be in German because I'm not able to talk about such deep things in German. But when it comes to so fascinating, isn't that? <laughs> I mean, I find that so interesting. But when it comes to maybe I don't know habits, food habits, I'm totally Italian. Yeah, I don't know. This is like, I don't really think about it on a day-to-day -day basis, but this is generally what I think. Okay, okay. And uh, Francesca and, and Maria, you know, so like how do you cook? Do you cook Russian at home? 
Do you, or are there some dishes that you cook that are Russian, typically Russian dishes? Do you, you know, go a little bit farther, one step farther? Now you have a child. Do you speak to this child in Italian or Russian or German or English? <laughs> Can I answer? Please, all of you. So for me, it would be Italian, just because my mom, she's from Venezuela and she spoke to me <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> her mother tongue so I would speak to my child in my mother tongue okay but you speak Spanish yeah and you, you continue speaking Spanish to your mom yes but you wouldn't teach your child Spanish I if I aim to be rich and <laughs> I would like to have maybe a nanny who speaks Spanish to my child because my great uncle he's from Argentina but he married a Brazilian woman. And they have a man who speaks to them in Portuguese, so why not? And this is what this season is about. <laughs> you know, when I moved to Germany uh, in 2001, I had a friend who is English, who grew up in Mexico. I have another friend who grew up in Portugal, but he's Welsh, and you know, and I thought, oh, with these friends, I'm really special. You know, I have this like really special background, and I'm so mixed, I'm so multi-coty, oh my God. And now, it's so normal. It's like almost impossible. I mean, I, I'm looking at two Hamburgers here who are sitting out in the audience who are from Hamburg. Uh, no, no, no. Um, right? So it's almost rare to find people who don't have this mix. And when you get into people's backgrounds, you find out things like this. Her mother is Venezuelan. Her uncle is lived in Argentina, married a Brazilian woman. And then it just gets really, really, really... That's what I mean with culture exponential. But what happens when Maria, who loves Italy and is from Russia and is living in Germany, marries a Portuguese guy? And what happens when you, whose mom is Venezuelan and your dad is Italian, you grew up in Italy, live in Germany, and you marry a Polish guy? And you know what happens then? How do you celebrate Christmas? Or do you? How do you eat at home? How do you find comfort? How do you, you know what I mean? How do you show love? What becomes a, a situation where you relax? How do you set up your life, temporality, things like that? What language do you speak at home? You can't teach your kids five languages. You can't. My husband and I have four languages among us. Four. If I add my mother tongue, then it's five. You can't. Our children speak German and English. Basta, right? I mean, it's, it's enough. Now they've added French. It's too much. So then what do you pick? What do you then pick? And then does it become a dominant culture that takes over? I went to the Elfi last week, and uh, the conductor of the NDA orchestra and the composer whose music was being played spoke in English. I was delighted because I was there with an American uh, friend visiting. But it was in English. Everybody understood. It's great. It's great. It's great. But is English going to take over and replace all other languages? We have to have a language that we can communicate in. Do the dominant cultures then overtake the smaller ones? I'm Hungarian, 100%. The blood that runs through my veins is 100% Hungarian. My children don't speak Hungarian because it makes no sense. My parents live in the US, they speak English. So my children have English and German. 
So the dominant culture took over. The minority culture, yes, they know how to pray and to curse and to sing Christmas songs and they know some expressions, but they don't speak Hungarian. So answer this on, on this level as well. Could I ask you a question? Is Hungarian like your love language? When you want no, to express French it? is my okay. love language. <laughs> Um, no, affection I express in English, but pretty much everything that I express that's complex is English. The only thing that I feel more comfortable about talking about is in French is, is uh, literature. Because I had a PhD in French literature, so that's where I just feel more comfortable. But what do you think? I ask that because um, I'm going to teach my children Italian. Although I also think that I cannot speak it like really proper after living 10 years here. But What I always say is like, Italian is for me my love language. I, um, I am better at expressing myself in an emotional way in Italian. Um, not that I cannot in German, but when I speak German, it's like a more rational side of me is like speaking. And when I'm Italian, it's like an, a more emotional one is out. So language is also like something that maybe defines me as a time we were also talking about that like sometimes I wish to be able to speak more Italian to with people or like I'm also happy when I'm in Italy to hear other people speaking Italian or that I'm not like involved in the conversation and I don't think that the bigger um, like or the no dominant language is going to take over the smaller one Because like it's my feeling, it's like Italian is for me my love language. I thought maybe my partner isn't going to be Italian. My children are going to speak Italian. You know? Okay. Okay. Maria, is it? Yeah, I see a really problem, real problem in here. Um, if I will live in Germany um, and become children here, so they need to speak German because they live here, and it's a um, language for communication, for 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 school, for I don't know, for everything. But um, yeah, my mother tongue is um, Russian, and I would love to teach my children Russian a little bit um, but I don't think I will communicate with my children in Russian in the first row because we are living in other culture and it's easier to to adapt to this culture I think through through the language also and it's it's really um, problematically I think we, we are losing our roots I uh, thought about it now <laughs> Yeah. Whether we're losing our roots or not, um, our roots are becoming multiple. If you were at the speech, I think Matteo and Claudia, you were at the speech that I held on, on belonging and on finding home. And I say that I feel like I have a sort of a four, oh, Alex, you were there too, a four-rooted uh, base, right? So where, where in order for me to kind of stand tall, I have one foot in sort of Hungary, Romania. That's also because it's, you know, my parents are Hungarian, but they're from Romania. So it's also like already, already like not that easy then one in France one in Germany and one in you know the US and and that's already like quite acrobatic um, so it's right so and just keeping up the four languages just um, you, you ultimately make a choice for one or the other for Christmas I brought up Christmas so at our house the Christkind comes because my husband is from 
the Dortmund area, so there the Christkind comes. Um, the angel comes because my parents are Hungarian and I grew up with the angel coming, so there is an angel comes and Santa Claus comes because, well, because in Hamburg you have Santa Claus as well and because, of course, Americans have Santa Claus. So, But that's like crazy, I mean, sort of to have these three symbols that are being pushed, I mean, and that's, you know, sort of three Christian countries, so like, you know, at least there's that. What if we're going to like mix, you know, uh, I don't know if I married a Jewish man, or, you know, what happens then? Like, how do you celebrate, and who decides, and then is the, is the answer that we stop celebrating as much? And I think that would be a pity. Is, it, is the answer that we sort of give up a little bit of tradition, that we no longer, and that's one of the things, because you talked about belonging, and part of belonging is the language, part of belonging is that you celebrate the same way certain things, that you go out and you have this buzz in the city and you notice that everybody's, everybody's in the same elated, right, or everybody's sad, or everybody's, right? But if you have such specific cultures, and you don't belong, then it becomes just your your small family culture. Anything that you'd like to add to that or how that pertains to Italy even, or to your particular case? I think that this multiculturality, cultural um, ambient, um, that we uh, that we become if we uh, relocate to another country and to another culture, and um, it overloads our um, us a little bit, and we really give up on celebrating on each way, and we just choose one that um, is kind of everything, a little bit uh, of everything in at once. And nothing at all. I don't know. It, it it becomes this little family culture, and we. Um, I think we can um, express our belonging to to some culture through this little piece that we choose. I think we we can do this. Okay. Okay. From the audience, um, you don't have a mic, but I'll just say what you're saying. What. What, what is it? I mean, I see a lot of you kind of just like nodding. What does it make you think? What, what do you do? You, do you think that it's a problem at all? You know, it's it's something that um, there's another podcast episode that I did on clothing and fashion, and um, I interviewed a man who designs costumes for the Kansas City Costume Company now, and he he used to design costumes for the Missouri Repertory Theater. So he's designed costumes, right, for theater for 45 years now. And one of the things he says is that today there is no clear line in fashion so that you know, okay, it's the whatever, this skirt or this pants or this whatever, and that's kind of the, that way you're elegant, that way you're fashionable, that way you're proper or whatever. He's saying today, this goes, that goes, anything goes, and so, we have to really ask ourselves a lot more. How do I dress to be cool? How do I dress to be elegant? How do I dress to appear whatever, uh, intellectual or whatever? So he's saying it's, it's, it's so much pressure on us to, on a daily basis, actually define this aspect of our being, which maybe we don't want to spend that much time on. And so... I think that's something that we've been doing with a lot of different things. And there's so much like 
pressure on us to define how to be a woman or how to be a man or how to be a student or how to be a whatever, how to, what religion to believe in, this, that, what, what career, people, that's one of the biggest problems with, with students nowadays. At 18, they can't decide what to do. They can't decide what to study. So, um, do you know what I mean? So, so I think it's absolutely wonderful that all these doors are open. It's an amazing luxury, but it comes with a lot of pressure. And what do we all want, ultimately? We want to belong and to be happy. And so, just, just from you as well, we're talking about Italy, we'll get back to Italy in a second, but that's what this whole season is about, this multiculturality versus monoculturality. How do we define it? How do we navigate through it? Any input from, from you guys? Yeah, I can definitely uh, resonate with the comment that was made about how you actually feel closer to your country of origin when you're away from that country. Um, I mean, so I'm from the U.S., which I've been living in Germany now for six years. Where are you from? From Iowa. Okay. Um, And when I was living there, I couldn't wait to get out. And I'm not in a hurry to go back by any means, but now, after having lived away from the country uh, for several years, I feel like more comfortable with the idea of being an American, and I seem to have a better understanding of kind of what it means um, than I ever had when I was actually living. That's interesting, right? Everybody heard it, right? Yeah, really interesting. And that's that's. I mean, for me, when I'm not in the U.S., I love the U.S. When I'm in the U.S., I can't wait to get out. And it's the same thing with France, and it's the same thing with Hungary, and it's well, Germany. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Germany is yeah, it's weird. Anyway, so so uh, uh, Gaia, no, I can totally relate to what he said because ever since sixth grade, I've been telling my parents I'm gonna leave. You will not see me for my 20s, other than during summer and Christmas. And that's something that I've identified myself with. I've always been the one saying, yeah, I will leave in a few years. And, you know, the few years started to become little and little. And now I'm here in Germany. And when I'm here, I do like it. I feel very comfortable. But I sometimes miss Italy. And when I miss it, then maybe I cook something extra Italian or listen to Italian music, which is something that I've never done when I was in high school in Italy. So I don't know, these little cultural things uh, like music or food or TV series, reading books in Italian, something that I've never done, uh, keep me connected to my home country. And the same with Venezuela. As well. Yeah. So I visited some friends in Tel Aviv years ago. And um, they were preparing a big dinner for some friends, and they were really annoyed by all the people who wanted to eat kosher. And they were sort of, quote unquote, not at all religious. Okay? I went to visit them in St. Louis. They moved to St. Louis. I went to visit them in St. Louis. The man was wearing a yarmulke. Uh, They were sort of totally eating only kosher, and it had become really, really important to them. So it's like the similar thing. When you're you're away from it, it becomes all of a sudden really important. The interesting thing is, what exactly becomes the culture then? And that's the thing with Italy as well, because uh, another example, friends of mine who are Greeks living in the US, they have never, uh, they had never been to Greece uh, until a couple years ago. So the dad, right, he's, he considers himself Greek and, and they own a Greek restaurant and they're like, they're as Greek as you, you, know, as you can get. 
but they had never, I mean, his father already already immigrated to the US, so he had never even gone back to Greece. So his idea of what it meant to be Greek was something created in his parents' mind in the 1950s. And so that's what I mean with Italy as well, like our concept of Italy, is it often this this idea of Italy that we get from the movies, that we sort of reduce down to this very, oh, for lack of a better word, thin culture in, in a way, right? So it, it's, it's, this is how it is. It's pasta, spaghetti, lasagna, va bene, ciao ragazzi. You know, and it's, like, it's like we reduce it to this little thing and, oh, yes, oh, I went to Florence and the buildings are beautiful and, oh, oh, yes, the gondolas in Venice. And, and we reduce it to this. And so what's the alternative? What else can we do? What do you say? It feels like more touristic view. Um, I live there also in Florence for three months. It's not much. I become Florentine. Florentine, yeah. Florentine. Uh, but um, if you leave uh, there on a daily basis, so uh, these beautiful Renaissance buildings are your normality. It's just there. It's it's beautiful though. It's beautiful architecture and art and so on. But it's your daily life, and you look on on other things. I think if you are in, in there in this okay. place in this culture. Okay. Any other thoughts? Otherwise, I'd get to my little concluding questions. Maybe when we are away from it, we we'll start appreciating more, or like. That's why you see, like what you said, um, when you're there after some couple of months, you don't like really um, not appreciate, like, ban even. Yeah, you don't, you don't notice it. Yeah, you, you don't, don't notice really. it anymore, but when you're away, you don't have it anymore. It's like the sun here in Germany <laughs> in the winter. Like during the summer, it's wonderful, and when it's winter, and like for a day, three days, a week, a month, you don't see the sun. It's like, ah. Oh, The sun is missing, and mm -hmm. and after the sun that, comes out, people yeah. are standing in front of the sun, just kind no, of like, or, or maybe oh, it's too warm. It's like, can we get an icon, like air conditioner, <laughs> like yeah. maybe flat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that that's interesting as well because that's the thing about Hamburg. I love Hamburg, um, and for example, there's the Altonale, right? Do you guys know the Altonale? The big, right? There's, there's also the stomp, the, the, the festival, etc. There are people in my neighborhood who have never been, who are from Hamburg, who have never gone to the Altonada. And it's because it's just here, it's available, so what? But they've gone to New York, <laughs> or they've gone to whatever. So very often, what's in our next, in our backyard, we don't actually take advantage of, because it is just kind of there. It's not, we don't, we don't notice it. Okay. So, coming sort of to the, towards the end of the interview, I have 10 more quick questions. Let's just see, let's just kind of situate ourselves here again. So, complete the sentence. Italy is not, or Italians are not. All the same. Not all the same. Okay. Complete the sentence. Never say this in Italy or to an Italian. No, I don't want to drink coffee. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want a coffee. Okay. What do Italians hate the most about tourists? Too many. Too many, <laughs> the number. Okay. What are Italians most proud of? Maybe being Italian. A lot. Like, I'm Italian. It's like a lot of people say 
like a point of pride, okay? Complete the sentence. Never do this if you want to keep a friendship with an Italian. Cut spaghetti. <laughs> cut spaghetti. Stereotypo. Never cut spaghetti, okay? Complete the sentence. The most beautiful Italian word or phrase is... I have one. Mi sono ritrovata a pensare a te. It's like um, I found myself thinking about you, but it's like more that I I was thinking about you, but not consciously thinking about you. And then like I found it out. It's like okay. I, I like that. Okay, I wouldn't mind both of you answering this one as well. It's not that poetic. I like the word pazzesco, pazzesca. What does that mean? Actually, I don't. Uh, I like it because you can use it in so many different contexts and. It's supposed to be, oh, that's so crazy, that's so cool, or I cannot believe that. That is so a uh, positive or negative adjective. Okay, say it one more time. Pazzesco or pazzesca. And use it in a sentence, just so. Mm. Wow, we're doing a live interview. Pazzesco. I cannot believe that. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And Maria? Mm. I don't know, nothing comes really to my mind, but I think about um, Que Bello, uh, Bella, it's um, one common word. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Complete the sentence. I love Italy because... I love Italy because of Italians. The way they produce this Italian culture, it doesn't produce by itself, so... <laughs> okay, all right, I'll take that one. Complete the sentence. I am Italian because... I feel like it. Because I feel like it? Because I speak Italian, maybe? You because said that earlier. Also, other people mark me as Italian. Ah, because really? other people think yeah. of me as Italian. Okay. And finally, in your own way, how do you say hello and goodbye in Italian? Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> We're just going to keep it with ciao. Okay. Thank you, Francesca, Maria, Gaia, for taking the time to meet with me, for playing along, and for answering my questions so generously. And thank you all for showing up for this live recording and out there listening to us in 100 countries around the world. Thank you all for your support. This is Dr. J signing out.